Tune your ear to wisdom. Cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Project Philippians, a deep dive into one of the richest treasure mines in Scripture. I'm delighted to have you join me today for another excavation into an amazing 2,000-year-old book. Hey, my friend, welcome back. So good to have you in the book with me again. Today we're going to be looking at verses 7 and 8 of Philippians 1. And i got to tell you, I've read these verses, I don't know, dozens of times in my life. I'll be honest, they've never really jumped off the page at me until this week, Tuesday night to be exact. I was studying this passage and something about what Paul says just spun me up. And uh, I'm going to do my best to try to share what I learned but I'm feeling particularly inadequate with that task today, so let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this book. Thank you for my friends who are studying it with me. We are earnest and eagerly desiring your spirit to teach us the things that we need to know, to shape us, to fashion your image inside of us, and the image of Paul as well, because he is such a model and example for us. So, Lord, Uh, guide our thoughts, guide my words today. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 1, verses 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I have a question for you. If you were to picture Paul in your mind, the Apostle Paul, what kind of personality uh, comes to mind? What kind of a guy do you think he was? I'll be honest. When I was younger, I kind of had this idea that Paul was a gruff, grumpy old guy, that he was sort of a stern general or a fiery lawyer, the type of guy that, you know, might be a good commander in chief, but I couldn't imagine, you know, saddling up and being friends with him. But I'll tell you, this passage blows the doors off of that idea. As a matter of fact, if you were to ask some of Paul's contemporaries what they thought of Paul, some of them would have used the word crazy. And Paul's aware of that, and he is actually going to speak to that very charge in this verse. You see, in the last few verses, we've been reading as Paul has been describing how fond he is of the Philippians. But he's used language that's a little over the top. Uh, He's gushing, as it were. He's talking about how thankful he is and how joyful he is when he thinks of them and, and just his confidence and love for them. But as Paul gets to this verse, I feel like he's, it's almost as if he pauses and thinks to himself, I don't know if the Philippians get it. I don't know if they understand what I'm trying to say here. In fact, I think maybe they think I'm a little bit crazy. Maybe they think I'm exaggerating or just being polite and and saying nice things. They don't understand the depth of what I'm trying to communicate. And so in verse 7, he starts with this words, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. It is right. That word right in the Greek is dikaion, and it's often translated as righteous or proper or suitable. He's saying, this is appropriate for me to feel this way. In fact, he he goes even further because 
This word dikion is a courtroom word. It, in fact, throughout these next two verses, he packs it with all sorts of courtroom words, like defending and confirming the gospel. Those are words that a lawyer would use. Or verse 8, I call God as my witness how I feel about you. So he's, it's this, this courtroom scene where Paul is standing almost like a lawyer making his case that this is something that is very, very serious to him. And he wants to convince the Philippians of how deep his feelings are for them. So this week, on Tuesday, I sat down and I started looking at these words one by one, just digging into these words, trying to understand what they meant. And I've got to tell you, I was really floored by it. I was overwhelmed by the power and passion. You see, Paul is going to use all of his rhetorical, oratorical skills. He's going to stretch his vocabulary to the limit to try to describe something that is clearly very important to him. And the passion that he uses to describe this told me something about the character and personality of Paul that I don't know if I'd ever really seen to this degree before. So let's, let's take a look at some of these words. We're going to start again at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way. That word feel is the first one we're going to look at. In some of your versions, it might be think, which is actually appropriate because that's more often how it's translated. In Greek, it's the word phronane. And uh, it's used 35 times in the, in the Bible, uh, but almost all of them, 32 of them, are used by Paul himself. And in fact, in this book, Philippians, it's the book that he uses this word more than in any of his other books. He uses it seven times. And let me just read a few of them just to give you an idea of what this word phronane means. In 2.2, he says, be of the same phronane with each other. Be of one mind, having the same mind. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, you need to have the same attitude, phronane, the same attitude as that that Christ Jesus had. Or in 3.19, he talks about some people who had set their minds, their phronane, on earthly things. And in 4.10, he says, I have been reminded, Philippians, of your phronane for me. Translated there, your concern for me. Indeed, you had been concerned, but you didn't have any opportunity to show it. So this word phronane is often translated as mindset or concern or attitude or concentrated focus. It is, a, it is something that we do with our understanding. The, probably the most famous verse that uses this word is Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. And so clearly this is a word where he's saying, I am thinking about you and it is appropriate for me to think this way about you. And then in the next phrase, he gives one of the reasons why it's appropriate. He says, because I have you in my heart. So that's the second word we're going to look at, heart. In Greek, it's cardia. The heart, obviously, in, from a modern perspective, is, a, is the muscle that pumps our blood. But we also think of it as the place where our emotions come from. I love you with all my heart. In Greek, cardia is not just emotions. It, it goes beyond that. I did, uh, like I said, I did a word study of that word, and it is used dozens of times. Paul uses it a lot. Uh, and let me just give you uh, some ideas of what 
lives in the heart, according to Paul. And this, these are just some verses from Romans. Uh, he, in 121, he says, foolishness or darkness is in the heart. In 124, he talks about lust that can be in the heart. Or in 2.5, unrepentance can be in the heart. But on the positive side, in chapter 6.17, he says, obedience can be in the heart. Or uh, in chapter 2.15, he says, the law is written in our hearts. Or chapter 5, verse 5, he says, the love of God is poured out into our hearts. In 8.27, God searches our hearts and knows our minds. 10.1, he talks about the desire of our hearts or the belief in our hearts or the imagination and motives and secrets in our hearts. These are the things that live in our hearts. So it is the core of who we are, essentially. The cardia is all the the internal uh, soul attitudes that we have that that maybe go below our, what our thoughts are. They, maybe they're not conscious, in other words. They, we're not consciously thinking this, but this is what powers us, what motivates us, what fills us. He says, that is where you live. You live in my heart heart. I have you in my heart. Now, in the remainder of verse 7, Paul is going to explain very clearly why he feels this way about them or where this sense of fondness and affection and compassion came from. And we don't have time to go through it today, so we're going to save that for the next episode. In this episode, we're going to talk about the depth of his feelings. And the next episode, we're going to talk about where those feelings came from. But I really want you to understand the depth of how he's feeling about them because if you're anything like me, it is going to wallop you. So let's move on, jump over the rest of verse 7 and go to verse 8. He says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, I talked about how this is a courtroom scene. He's saying, I call God as my witness is literally what he says. And the phrase he uses here is in the form of a solemn oath, the type of oath that you would take in a court of law. He's saying, God is my witness. The Jews of Paul's day didn't often actually use God's name in their oaths. They were, they were reticent to do that. They were reluctant. So they would say, I swear on the temple or swear on the Torah. But here Paul is saying, I swear on the name of God himself. This is so serious to him. This is a solemn oath that he's pronouncing. He says, I testify how I long for all of you. I long for you. What does that mean? This is another one of those gem words. The Greek word is epipotheo. Paul uses it seven times out of the nine times that it appears. So it's almost always Paul, and he's almost always using it for how he feels about someone or something that he really, really loves. In Romans 1.11, he says, I long to see you. Or in 2 Corinthians 5.2, he says, I long for heaven. Uh, In Philippians 2.26, he tells about uh, his friend Epaphroditus who longs to see you and is praying for you. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 3.6, he tells the Thessalonians that he longs to see them, and he knows that they long to see him. And 2 Timothy 1.4, I long to see you, Timothy. So it is this yearning, aching desire to be with somebody that you're separated from. It is this deep, heartfelt desire to be reconnected. And then he goes on and he says, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The affection. There's another interesting word. In fact, it's another one of the gems of this passage. 
It's actually one of my favorite Greek words, partly because it's just so much fun to say in the Greek. It's splachna, splachna. You got to get the ch in there to really understand. Splachna. Well, to really understand what this word means, you need to know what it literally means. And you'll see that back in Acts chapter 1, verse 18. So let me read it. With the reward that he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong. His body burst open in the middle, and all his splachna spilled out. Oh, man, that's gruesome, right? But it tells you what splachna is. It's your entrails. It's your innards. It's your intestines and your organs. It's your guts. Paul is saying, I... I don't just love you with all my heart. I love you with all my guts. (laughs) Now, pause here and just think about how many different words Paul is using that describe parts of his body. He starts with the phronane, his mind, and then his heart, and now his guts. It's like he's saying, I love you with every part of me. You know, you're reminded of, of our great command that we're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, here he's telling the Philippians, I love you with all my mind, with all my heart, and with all my guts. Everything in me is compelled to compassion and affection for you guys. I actually had the opportunity to experience something like this just yesterday. I have a friend named Thane who lives several states away from me, and he is a dear friend. But it's been a while since we'd been able to catch up with each other. And so we had a phone call yesterday, and I got to just sit and listen as he described the things that were going on in his life. And I'll tell you, I was just thrilled. The way that God has been working in his life and his family, the way that God is using him and shaping him, I was just so excited to hear it. And I, I had a, a literally a physical reaction to this and it was in my it was in my abdomen i noticed as i was talking to him that my my guts were just tightening up just because i was had so much joy i mean i was really almost in tears to 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 hear the joyful news that he was sharing with me and it was like oh my whole guts were just filled with joy <laughs> that i think is the description that paul is trying to get across to the philippians that he is just filled with joy. But there's one last piece here. He doesn't actually say, I love you with all my guts. What does he say? Look closer. He says, I love you with all the guts of Christ Jesus, with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's quite a claim, isn't it? He's saying, Jesus himself loves you with all of his guts, and I love you that much too. I have an overwhelming, all-consuming gut-wrenching love for you. And notice, it's not just for one or two of them. He says, for all of you. In fact, he says that three different times. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. For whether I am in change or defending the gospel, all of you share in the joy. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He said it back in verse 4 too, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. This man loves the Philippians and he loves all of them. He knows them by name and he is they are dear and precious to him. My friends, have you ever seen this before? I mean, do you know anybody who's ever expressed this amount of compassion and love this eloquently, this passionately? I got to say, I think this is so rare in the church today 
to see, especially, let me be frank, especially men speaking with this type of fervor in their affection and compassion. This just flips my understanding of who Paul was, right? I mean, this is this the idea that he was some stern, grumpy old aloof general. Uh, this passage just flips that idea upside down. But again, what about you? Does this describe your experience? Uh, let me just be as, as serious as I can and tell you that I genuinely believe that this is one of the most critical missing ingredients in the spiritual lives of of men, especially in churches all across this country. And the fact that it's missing has been devastating to our spiritual health and our mental and emotional health as well. You know, I, I, I can tell you that in my own life, about 15 years ago, I was living in a in a relational desert of my own, with no connections, no compassionate relationships like this. And I'll tell you, my emotional, mental, spiritual mindset just really spun out of control. And it was, it was devastating to me. It was one of the darkest periods of my life, quite honestly. It wasn't until God mercifully brought me into connection with some other men where we had honest, radical transparency and we could speak to each other's hearts and souls and we began building the bonds that brought repair and health and spiritual healing back to my own heart. But I am just convinced that there are so many Christians who are struggling right now, struggling with depression or anxiety or addictions, just living a defeated spiritual life precisely because they do not have this type of relationship with anybody. They don't have this type of heartfelt, gut-wrenching bond with other believers, and it is devastating to their soul. So my friend, if that's where you're at today, I just really want to challenge you. Something needs to change. You need to make a change in this. There needs to be, you need to break out of the isolationism that's so rampant in our culture and reach out and begin the hard work of building this type of relationship. Now, you may be saying, hey, yeah, I want that type of relationship, but how do I get it? Well, you're going to have to come back to next episode because Paul lays that out real clearly and we're going we're gonna to dive into that next time. But in the meantime, I just want to pray for you right now. Lord God, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for loving us with everything in you, loving us from the inside out, from your very core. That's amazing, Lord. But Lord, we need to... We need to sometimes feel that type of love with skin on right now. And so, Lord, I am praying for my brothers and sisters who are listening to me. I'm asking, God, that if they have not experienced this type of compassionate connection with other people, Lord, that you would begin building that into their lives, restoring the true bonds of Christian love, that we would love each other just like Christ loved us that we would live lives of love, and that we would be transformed by the incredible love of God expressed through our brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible. We love you. Amen.
been an honor to have you spend this time with me, but don't let it end here. May the words of God continue to resonate in your heart and transform your life until the day you meet our glorious King and Savior face to face.